Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Last episode before the holiday break, as a friendly reminder, I'll probably just throw it in like the captions and stuff when, you know, I post on socials and even in like the description of this podcast. So if you come across it, that's why. But it's just going to be a, a holiday break from Christmas to uh, New Year's. We'll be back after New Year's. But we have NFL Week 15 action, some major seeding and playoff implications uh, for games this week, huge games for all of that. The Bengals, the Colts, the Eagles, the Cowboys, uh, a lot, a lot of playoff implications. The Bills and the Dolphins, right? Some major games for divisional seeding, playoff, who makes the playoffs as the last wild card, all that kind of stuff. So we get to talk all about that. Um, and I'm very excited to, we also, some Yamamoto stuff. Um, he's still really the biggest fish so far that, uh, is still swimming around the free agency pond, uh, has not decided where he's going to sign yet. He, I think reportedly he's going to meet with the Yankees again, or he wanted to meet with the Yankees again. I think the Mets and the Giants also got second meetings last time I checked, uh, so it's just a few teams that got extra meetings. I don't know what his status is with the Dodgers. I'm not sure there's really a timetable right now. I would imagine before the new year, we get a finalized uh, contract for uh, Yoshi Yamamoto. And I hope it's with the Yankees. I think just like in a perfect world. You know, it's Judge and Cole. Judge is like 30, right? 31. Cole is 33. Yamamoto and Soto are both 25. It's literally perfect. Um, that would be my dream. But Yankees are still, like, even if they miss out on Yamamoto, I wouldn't expect them to just, like, finish off the, the offseason and just with what they have and be like, all right, well, we got Soto. That's enough. It's not enough. They need more. Uh, they need at least some. They need something else. They need to make another move. Um, the pitching. I mean, how many people came into last year and being like the Yankees have one of the best pitching rotations in uh, in baseball, and they were like horrible. Everyone was horrible outside of Cole. Everyone was either horrible or injured. Not named Garrett Cole. So, uh, kind of a problem there. Uh, a twenty-five-year-old ace would be pretty electric to to pair us alongside the reigning AL Cy Young Award leader. Uh, but that is the Yamamoto sweepstakes. I think, like I said, by the new year, we definitely should have some type of contract in place. Right now, it's the 19th um, as I'm recording this. Yes, a late upload again this week, but that's all right. Uh, so waiting on the Yamamoto news. But I think we're just going to run headfirst into NFL Week 15. Um, we'll start with Thursday night football. The Raiders putting up the second highest scoring outage this year, 63-21. to 21. They defeat the LA Chargers. It is the most points any team has put up the, the week following being shut out. They lost 3 nothing to the Vikings in Week 14, and in Week 15, they put up 63 points against the LA Chargers, which, of course, led to the firing of Brandon Staley. 
And I have been on the Firebrand and Staley train for months. Um, Adam Scheffner put up a tweet about how, like, some people thought this move should have came after the playoff collapse to the Jaguars, but it comes about 11 months later. And I was like, I'm one of those people. I am one of those people. Brandon Staley should have been fired after that playoff loss to Jacksonville. Um, but as we all know, and as we know what bad coaches is, what bad coaches do, bad organizations do, when, when coaches are the problem and they need to be fired, uh, their, their last ditch effort to save their jobs is to fire a coordinator. And that's what the Chargers did. Uh, after that loss, they fired Joe Lombardi. They hired Kellen Moore and was like, surely this will fix our uh, our problems. I, I've made a couple TikToks, a, a couple. I've, I've talked on this podcast about it and then cut those up. And they're on my I know they're on my TikTok page. I know at least one is on my Instagram for the, the podcast, which of the links are in the description of the episode. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, so you can just click on those and, and find them. But it basically it's. It's Brandon Staley was on the fast track, dude. Like he really ascended rather quickly, had a great defense with the Rams, although it was a defense that was completely stacked with all pros. Um, and then gets hired to be the the Chargers coach. He is kind of pushing the analytics train. Um you know, go for it on fourth down all the time. If you're in your opponent's territory, like never settle for a field goal unless it's like fourth and 10 or whatever. Like you're, if you're, if it's anything less than fourth, fourth and four, he's going for it. And he did that a lot. Then it started to bite him in the ass a bit. They have that terrible loss to the Raiders where it was basically, it was, it was basically winning your in for the playoffs. So the Raiders win, they get into the playoffs. And then the following year, the Chargers make the playoffs and they lose to the Jaguars after blowing whatever it was, a 24 point lead, something like that. Um, in, in a game where the defense was able to turn the ball over or get or create turnovers. I think they had like three or four in the first half. It was, they had three in like the first quarter, I think. And then like four in the, in the entire first half, it was, an insane defensive effort. And then the, the offense could not get a first down when it mattered. Um, the defense could not get a stop when it mattered. And everything just came completely crumbling down. And the Jaguars ended up winning that game. Uh, that's probably when I would have fired Brandon Staley. Because it was very clear that, like, you know, you got problems. Um, and you're not going to be able to really fix them. So, uh, So with the Chargers, they're like... 40 something million dollars over the cap already. They have uh aging skill players with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Mike Williams can't stay healthy. Um, he's always banged up. Keenan Allen's usually always banged up too, but he was actually healthy this year. Had a really good season. Uh Justin Herbert. I mean, I I, I he's very talented. Uh this defense is horrible and they have a lot of big names with a lot of money tied up and they're not very good i do have to offer an official apology to khalil mack because i said that since he's joined the Chargers, i feel like i haven't really heard his name and you know he he might be a non-factor he leads the league in sacks or at least he he did last week when i saw the graphic or two weeks i'm pretty sure he still does but uh a 
huge bounce back year for Cleo Mack. What what a season he had. Um, like Joey Bosa, injuries. Um, Derwin James has had battles with injuries. They signed J.C. Jackson, who was horrible for them. Uh, their linebackers are cooked, like literally completely cooked. It's bad. So they have a lot of money tied up in this team and they're old and not good. So it is the trifecta of where you don't want to be as a football team. Um, especially now, cause you had to pay Justin Herbert. This was like your year to compete and to, to really make another push with this core that you had. And now it's pretty obvious that that core is, is shot. So you have to blow it up and it's going to be pretty difficult to do. Uh, while also trying to like maximize this, super talented young quarterback that you have it's a hell it's a hellscape i don't know really it's it's a really unappealing job i know it's like oh it's the chargers la justin herbert like that's an appealing job but when you really look at the roster construction and the cap situation it's very unappealing it becomes very unappealing very quickly so i'm not really sure uh, who's going to end up being in the running for this head coaching job? Maybe they just promote Kellen Moore, hire another OC. I don't, I don't know what their plan is, but they are in shambles right now. It is not looking good for the Chargers. Uh, as for the Raiders, great bounce back win. Um, they're six and eight. They're not going to make the playoffs, but uh, they certainly have built, um, I think, at least a little bit of a culture there with Antonio Pierce. So I would I would be pretty shocked if he didn't stick around as the as the permanent head coach and was hired full time. Uh, Mark Davis has no money, so I'm not sure what they could pay him. But uh, yeah, Antonio Pierce with the Raiders fits up fits pretty well. And and this was a huge defensive game too. I mean, Jack Jones had probably one of the best interceptions I've ever seen in my entire life, picking off a screen pass with one hand and then walking into the end zone was like absolutely insane. Uh, and the Raiders just on all on all cylinders. I think they had like eight different people score touchdowns. It was absolutely nuts. Uh, so very, very, very good game all around for the Raiders Chargers disaster game. I was saying last week, you know, Brandon Staley, they haven't fired him yet. Probably going to stick around to the end of the season. And if they lost this game by like one score, I think he probably would still have his job again, at least until the end of the season, but just based on the fact that this was such an embarrassing loss to a division rival, they had no, it doesn't matter that there's, you know, three games left or three weeks left in the season. Uh, you need to go. And that's how bad it was. Uh, December, middle December, Christmas time means we have Saturday football action for the first time all year. Bengals, Vikings, Colts, Steelers, and Lions Broncos as the nightcap. I actually had a great day gambling. I had a great weekend gambling, uh, to be completely honest. The first game, Bengals Vikings. Bengals went 27 to 24 in overtime. The Bengals looked lost in the first half. Brian Flores and that Vikings defense were all over the place, completely shutting down Jamar Chase. T. Higgins, Jake Browning couldn't do much of anything. And then in the second half, the Bengals exploded and they were able to tie the game. Browning kind of threw it up to the corner of the end zone, right outside outside the end zone, really, at like the two-yard line. T. Higgins came in and jumped basically between and over two defenders, made a great catch, came down with the ball, and as he's being tackled out of bounds, 
reaches behind him with his long-ass arm and breaks the plane for a touchdown to tie it after the extra point by McPherson. And that's what tied it at 24. They, uh, The Bengals got the ball in overtime. They got stopped. They were able to stop the Vikings then again. Nick Mullins and the Vikings, they looked... It was tale of two halves here, really. It, it was because the Vikings were winning... Seven to three at the half. It really, actually, it's not even a tale of two halves. It's, tale of, it's three quarters. The, the Bengals had three points through three quarters, and the, Bengal, and the Vikings had uh, 17. So the Vikings were outscoring them 17 to three going into the fourth quarter, and the Bengals outscored them 21 to seven to send it in overtime. Uh, you got a couple stops on each end, and then the Bengals were able to uh, put it into field goal range and knock it through for McPherson or McPherson was able to knock it through to win 27 to 24 in this game. I had Bengals minus three. So that leg, I had a three leg parlay Bengals minus three that pushed Jake Browning over. I think his passing yardage was like 230 something. He had well over 300 yards passing. So that cruised and T Higgins three and a half catches for plus money uh, was the final leg. That touchdown that he caught to tie the game was his fourth and final catch of the game. So I was kind of sweating that out. Um, didn't have the max payout that the, it was supposed to be. I think I profit boosted that to have it around like plus 600 something odds uh, over a little over 600 yards, but not seven, 600 odds, not 700 though. Uh, and it about halved after the Bengals minus three line uh, leg pushed. So still not bad. A win is a win. Uh, Steelers, Colts. Colts win 30 to 13. They blow out the Steelers in the second half. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was close in the in the first half. It was 14-13 in the half. And then the Colts completely shut out the Steelers. Trubisky gets benched. Mason Rudolph has to come in. Steelers put up a goose egg in the second half. And the Colts end up winning 30 to 13. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., I had his over in this game, 73 and a half. He ended up with 78 before being torpedoed by Demonte Kazi, who was ejected from the game and suspended for the rest of the season for almost killing Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, and then also I had the Colts minus one and a half, which that cruised as well. So that two leg parlay hit in this game. Uh, and with that hit, it, it caused a lot of controversy. Obviously it's a dirty hit. Pittman's in a completely defensive position. He's targeting his head and neck area. Pittman gets bent up like a pretzel. It was really hard to watch, and you kind of saw it happening in real time. Like, I think everyone almost had like that future sight where you're like, "Oh my god, he's about to get killed!" Oh, and then he gets hit, and you're like, "Oh my god!" You're like wincing because you know it's about to happen. Um, but Tom Brady does a really good job of explaining. He's like the he. So he's been on it. Him and Peyton Manning have been like on a tirade of just like being completely disgusted with the state of the quarterback in the NFL today and how bad quarterback play has been outside of like a handful of guys. Um, and this is one of them where it's like Tom Brady was like, yes, the hit was dirty. Yes. He should have been, he should be, you know, thrown out of the game and suspended. But what is the, as a quarterback, you cannot leave your wide receivers out there to dry. You are leaving them exposed to a point where they have to die for it, being targeted by a defensive back who's trying to make a play, trying to break up the play, break up the pass. Yes, he 
I, I mean, honestly, Kazi there in that scenario, there's really probably not much else he can do other than just let Pittman try and catch the football. Like, it's it's hard to not hit him the way he did. But at this, like, same thing with Gardner Minshew. It's like, you are hurting your uh, your receiver. Like, that is as much on Gardner Minshew. Tom Brady's basically saying that's as much on the quarterback as it is the defensive back. Because you cannot throw it out there, a lot of air under the ball, Pittman running towards it. He has to die for it. Now he's completely exposed to this defender, and he gets absolutely cracked. You cannot do that as a quarterback. and. Uh, last Monday night against the Titans, I saw Tua do it uh, over the middle of the field to Jalen Waddle, got him absolutely wrecked. Like that's not good. And there's, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks around the league that they're, they've just been throwing up these ducks, throwing in the double coverage, throwing in the middle of the field. And I do agree that there's a line right now that we're kind of teetering on where it's like, no matter what you do, it's going to be a flag. and Football is a violent sport. Like, what side of that line do you do you fall on? Like, I understand player safety because they they preach player safety, but then there was a couple hits this weekend in the Patriots game and then in the in the Giants game against Tommy DeVito, where like Tommy DeVito slides, gets hit from behind, his head his head his front of his helmet slams, he face plants into the turf because he got hit from the from behind while he was sliding. And he's face plants into the turf. There's no flag, yet he has to leave the game and go into concussion protocol. So I don't understand how that could happen, how the refs could make him leave this game and then also not throw a flag. How does that make any sense? So you preach player safety, player safety, player safety, but then sometimes there's just, they're not throwing a flag and you're like, well, what are we doing here? How is this possible? Um, so are you going to, is it, is it, are you going to pull back on player safety and be like, okay, football is a violent sport. It's going to be a little violent sometimes. Or are we doing anytime there's a big hit where someone really gets their shit rocked, there's going to be a flag. You can't teeter in between the two. It's either like rah, rah player safety. We're flagging all these big hits because you just shouldn't be able to do it. Or football is a violent sport by nature. Some hits, even though they look violent, are clean. Like I've seen how many times have we seen a guy get absolutely blasted over the middle of the field after he caught a ball, he's bracing for impact, he gets hit, the guy leads with his shoulder, it's into his chest, the receiver gets decked, and they still throw a flag for unnecessary roughness, like a personal foul. Ha There's no other way sometimes to be able to do that. And it you know, I, I, again, Tom Brady talked a lot about this. He's been talking a lot about this because I think it's something that's bothering him with the state of the game. And he talks about like Ray Lewis is a guy that like Tom Brady avoided throwing into the middle, throwing to his receivers in the middle of the field, basically at all costs whenever he played Baltimore, because he didn't want them to get kicked out, knocked out of the game by Ray Lewis. Like that was an inherent risk that you took when you threw over the, over the middle of the field. And Tom Brady did not want to do that. So it caused the Patriots to change their game planning. That is a level of the game that is not really impacted anymore because you can hit someone and the, the reward is 15 yards on a first down. And potentially that player being ejected from the game if it's, if it's bad enough. 
Uh, so that was a big story um, that came out of this game. Obviously, Kazzy being just suspended and kicked out and Michael Pittman Jr. somehow being able to get up and, and walk to the locker room under his own power. I, I don't know if he even knew what year it was, but the fact that he was able to get up was really, uh, really good. Because I thought, like, worst case scenario, this dude's heading out. This dude's getting carried out on a stretcher. Uh, even if he's like totally fine, safety precautions, you know how they just do that a lot of times when guys suffer head injuries like that, maybe, you know, you got to bring out the stretcher. Um, I, I thought for sure that's where it was headed because he was, he got clobbered. And now you're looking at a uh, a situation here with the Steelers uh, outside of that, where they are seven and seven, the, the, the Colts are eight and six. So the Bengals with their win in the one o'clock window, they were leapfrogging whoever loses this game. Uh, because they are eight and six. The Steelers are now out of the playoff picture. They're not going to make the playoffs. Um, Mason Rudolph was named the starter by Mike Tomlin against the who they actually play the Bengals on Sunday. So we're gonna get Mason Rudolph the probably the rest of the way. The Steelers stink, and for the first time in his coaching tenure, they're looking at dropping below five hundred under Mike Tomlin. And now there's rumors about. Is Tomlin going to be back? Uh, is he going to be traded because he has a year left on his deal? I highly doubt that happens. If I were to expect anything, because the Steelers are very much, you know, their their organization is like they've had three coaches in the past 50 years. Like this is how this this franchise operates, right? And if I had to guess, like Mike Tomlin if you were going to part ways with him, it's probably run out the rest of his deal and then just don't extend him. And then that's it. You move on and you find out what you find out what the future holds. Um, but I think it's, I mean, big Ben has been talking about it where it's just like that same mentality isn't there. You know, the Steelers have always Bill Cower to Mike Tomlin, even now too. It's always been, Big Ben's the guy, right? So, like, that's obviously something that is no longer there is Ben Roethlisberger, which I think is obviously a huge, huge, huge um, thing, right? But they don't, they're not the, the big, tough Pittsburgh Steelers anymore. Their defense still shows up, but when the offense is this bad, it's hard to do anything. So, the offense is bad. They don't run the ball like they used to. They're not getting the ball to their, their, their passing game is horrible and obviously i think that's part on just having like subpar qb play but the offensive scheme and the play calling is still not great like you're still not running a good offense so i don't know who they have to bring in to try and kind of fix that but the identity of the steelers more so than like any other team in the nfl like they represent they're the steel. They've always been the steel city, right? Hardworking people, the class that like that kind of class of citizen. And the Steelers were always a tough football team. Like the people that the, the Steelers and the steel city, the people that they represent in that city is how they really played more. So again, more so than like basically any other team in the NFL. Um, they don't have that anymore. Like, no one is afraid of the Steelers. It's not going to, like, even if the Steelers aren't that good, they're going to give you a tough fight. They're going to beat you up. 
They're going to run the ball. They're going to hit you on defense. It's going to be a tough, tough day. Not an easy W. And now it's like, if you score two touchdowns, you're beating the Steelers. That's just how it is. Um, they are a slightly better version of the Jets. Like that's That's really what it comes down to. The Steelers are just a slightly better version of the Jets. And by slightly, I mean like really slightly. So the uh, the future of Mike Tomlin and the Steelers very much in question right now. Uh, the night game, Lions, Broncos. I actually took one of those game specials. So it wasn't a profit boosted one that FanDuel had. I just went to their game specials tab because I was like, hey, I'm on a roll. You know, let's try and do something fun for like plus odds. Um, so I did any quarter to end scoreless. First quarter ended scoreless, zero to zero, and it cashed. The rest of the game, 60 points were scored. 59. 59 points were scored. That's insane, right? To go, to make that bet, have the first quarter end 0-0, and then for the Lions to explode for 42 points, and then the Broncos to add on another 17 in the second half. Like, that is insane that the over still hits in this game. Uh, hit all my bets. This was a get-right game for the Lions. They needed to win this game at home, and they needed to win it big. They are 10-4 and four now. Uh, the Broncos at 7-7. Seven and seven, They're going to be clawing their way for a playoff spot. Um, but it's not a great formula that they have winning. Like, I, I think they turned it around in the sense that, like, they're way more consistent or they had been playing way more consistent. But if Russell Wilson turns the ball over and the defense isn't like plus two or plus three in the, in the turnover category, like the Broncos are going to struggle to win a football game. And that's just the way it is. Um, Jared Goff popped off in this game. He needed a get right game. The lions really, like I said, they needed to explode offensively and they did. Uh, I still think they're a legit threat. The only I still I think there are question marks about their defense that you have to you have to worry about when playing a, a high level offense. The Broncos obviously not being a high level offense, but it, it is certainly um, a concern still. But you like to see them get right. I think CJ uh, CJ Gardner Johnson's back as well, which is a huge buff for them. Uh, really, really big boost in the secondary to get him back because he was like a guy that they signed in the offseason that was really supposed to be a uh, a key piece in their defense and, and their defensive planning. So now to have him back there with Brian Branch is going to be pretty nice. Uh, so big things ahead for the Lions. And they have a real opportunity here to uh, to get after that one seed. I, don't, I think San Francisco, I don't think San Francisco is going to blow it. Um, but they do have a chance. They are only one game back along with the, uh, Eagles and Dallas. So Sunday's action, the saints and the giants. I took the giants plus six here. That was one of my other bets on Sunday. Not a good bet. Saints win 24 to six. I do not think, um, the saints are good. I still not, I would not put them in the good category. However, their defense is good. And against, you know, a team like the Giants with Tommy DeVito, if you have a good defense with good players, it's going to be tough to win games like that. Um, and they did basically that. They kind of brought everyone back down to earth a little bit and uh, stifled the 
Italian stallion Tommy Cutlets frenzy that was sweeping the NFL. Um, couple dirty hits in this game, which I didn't like. Isaac Adams, the one who hit Tommy DeVito in the back of the head uh, when he tackled him as he was sliding, which he's a former giant too, which I think makes things worse. Um, and the Saints like trolling, uh, trolling the Giants with the uh, the Italian hand gesture um, is so lame. Like you guys suck. Like the Giants are bad, but the Saints suck. Like you guys have your starting quarterback, you have all of these talented weapons, and you're seven and seven. You're bad. You're not even leading your division right now. Uh, and, and it's horrible. Like you, you're tied, and you you still don't have the division lead. The Bucks are the lead, division leaders right now. Y- you suck. So I'm I'm off the Saints. I want them to uh, lose. I want them to be embarrassed. I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield and the Bucks to make the playoffs. Uh, Jets Dolphins. Quick one here. Uh, Zach Wilson left the game a couple times during this game, but regardless, Jets put up a goose egg. They lose 30 to nothing against Miami, which this was an absolute must win for Miami. Uh, it was never in doubt, luckily, for them. Uh, so now you get into this, this absolute gauntlet of an end of your season here where you're playing the Ravens, the, the Cowboys, and the Bills, the final three regular season games. It's going to be tough. I think it's actually, let me check what it is. I think it's Cowboy, I think, what I say? Ravens, Cowboys, Bills? I think it's Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. Yeah, they play the Cowboys on Sunday, Christmas Eve. Then they play the Ravens on New Year's Eve. And then they play the Bills um, the first week of 2024, January 7th. So, going to be a tough one for the Dolphins to secure that, uh, that AFC East. It's going to come down to the wire because the Bills are on their tail. but. I think they'll get it done. I do. I think they'll get it done. I think considering what happened to the Cowboys on Sunday, which we'll get to, this is very much a like reputation game as well. Like whoever, yes, the Cowboys and the Dolphins are both going to make the playoffs. Um, but whoever loses this game is is very much going to be like, I don't know if we could take these guys seriously. Depending on the outcome, obviously, if it's like a really big shootout, then who knows? But uh, for the most part, these teams have both had bad losses against good teams and have really beat up on bad teams. So we'll we'll see how this game goes and how this game progresses. Um, but yeah, Dolphins, 30-0. They need to win that game, and they did. Uh, Texans, Titans, Texans win 19 to 16 in overtime. I really didn't watch a lot of this game at all. There was no CJ Stroud. Obviously, Tank Dell's out for the year, but CJ Stroud had a concussion, so he was out. Um, all I know from this game is that Derrick Henry is the first person who had um 20 or more touches and totaled less than 20 scrimmage yards. He had 20 touches the entire game for 15 total yards. And this was a parlay that I put in because he usually tears. It's a home game against the Texans, divisional rival. He usually tears up the AFC South. So I bet Derrick Henry, and he's been on it. He's had really good last couple weeks. So I put Derrick Henry 100 yards and two touchdowns today. He had like 
15 total yards. It was an abomination. Uh, so yeah, not much to say about this game. I didn't really watch it too much, but uh, yeah, great analysis by me. I know. Um, tough loss for the Titans though. I mean, you come off that great win against the Dolphins and then you lose to the Texans with no CJ Stroud. It, it's gotta be painful and it's gotta be a huge source of frustration for, uh, Mike Vrabel, who is again, someone to keep an eye on this off season. Uh, if he gets bought out, if he gets mutually parts, I don't think the text, the Titans are going to just flat out fire him. Cause that's a really poor look considering how good of a coach he's been for them. Like, yeah, they're having a bad year, but he is still a good coach. And that Dolphins game proved that. So he could end up going somewhere else, which I could totally, I could totally see just a mutual parting of ways. And then Mike Vrabel goes to coach somewhere else. Uh, Bucks Packers at Lambeau. The Bucks win 34 to 20. The common denominator here is the Packers defense is bad. And now the Packers are in, uh, the Packers are pretty much dead. They are six and eight. So they're, they're pretty much dead, uh, in the playoff race. I would say, who do you have here at the end of the season? The Panthers, the Vikings and the bear and the bears. So maybe not totally dead. They, if they win those last three games with a little bit of help, they could sneak into the playoffs at nine and eight, but I'm just going to say they're dead because I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But uh, the common denominator here between this week, last week, is the defense. The defense is bad. The defense is really bad. I mean, Tom and DeVito was carving them up, and you saw how he looked and how the Giants looked against the Saints. Even when, I mean, Tommy DeVito did get hurt, and it was kind of just a, an overall shit show for the Giants. But when he was playing... Couldn't really do much. Like, the offense couldn't really do much. The Saints defense was stifling them. And now you hear you have Baker Mayfield, which this is no slight to Baker Mayfield. He's a much better quarterback than Tommy DeVito. Um, but he carved them up. I mean, this was, like, maybe his best game of the year. He had, he had 22 or 20. This is easily his best game of the year, actually. 22 or 28. 381 yards and four touchdowns for Baker Mayfield. This is by far his best game of the year. Uh, really, really just a, a superb performance from Baker Mayfield. And I mean, Jordan Love wasn't even really that bad. 29 to 39, 284 yards and two touchdowns. But the Packers, they had no shot because their defense could not get a stop to save their lives. So 34 to 20 is the final here. The Bucks. Are now they have the tiebreaker over the Saints, so they are the AFC or the NFC South leaders as of right now. Um, Panthers, Falcons, Arthur Smith is is cooked. It's over for him. Um, the Falcons are not going to win this division. They are six and eight, and they they sit behind the the Saints and the Bucks right now. And uh, they lost to the Panthers, who are now two and twelve, which means that I think. As of right now, the Patriots have the number one overall pick, which I'm I'm gonna check the 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 tank, the tankometer, the tankathon website to see if that's true or not in a bit after we get done reviewing these games. But nine to seven, disgusting game. Uh it was <laughs> it was the Falcons winning seven to nothing. The first score wasn't until five minutes, just under five minutes left in the second quarter. 
It was Corderell Patterson, of all people, scoring the touchdown. And then the next three scores were before halftime, Eddie Pinheiro, and then two fourth quarter Eddie Pinheiro field goals to win nine to seven. Just absolutely a horrific game. Didn't watch much of this one either, but good God, is this tough. I mean, the Falcons, this is such a classic Falcons loss, which is why Arthur Smith is going to be fired. Um, Dennis Allen's going to, I mean, listen, if the Bucks sneak into the playoffs, Todd Bowles, I think still has years on his contract. So he's probably going to stick around till next year. Dennis Allen needs to be fired no matter what. Um, Arthur Smith needs to be fired no matter what. Bijan Robinson is, is like the fact that he just refuses to use this kid is pretty insane to me. Just eight touches for Bijan the entirety of the game. I do not understand what goes through this dude's head. Why is Corderell Patterson more of in your wheelhouse? Why is Tyler Algier getting more carries? Tyler Algier is fine. Don't get me wrong, but he'd be serviceable, more serviceable as the, the guy who gets the second amount of touches in that backfield. Bijan deserves all the touches. He's the most talented. He's your best player there. I don't understand what you are doing, Arthur Smith. I really don't. And it's been a source of frustration, I think, for like all football fans, really, because it's just like every time you look up and it's the Falcons are on, you're like, what are the Falcons doing? Uh, next game, Cleveland, Chicago. The Browns are nine and five, and the Bears are five and nine. Justin Fields looked bad. Eight or 19 of 40. 166 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Joe Flacco was spinning it. Um, classic Joe Flacco game. 28 of 44, 374 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, and a last-second field goal from Dustin Hopkins, again, to win the game for Cleveland, 20-17. to 17. Just an absolute whirlwind of a season for the Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson and then him getting injured. Then you have, you know, the P.J. Walker slash Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, situation that didn't really work out. They signed Flacco off the street. He's slinging it around and is actually playing halfway decent football. They have nine wins basically off the back of this defense, just being an absolute juggernaut of a unit. So the Cleveland Browns continuing to make strides. Uh, they are just about locked up. In a playoff, I think if they just win next week, uh, they get a secure. They secure a playoff spot. They're playing the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals the next three weeks. Jets are on Thursday night football. Um, so pretty, pretty big. I mean, not pretty. A huge win for the Browns. They really needed that to uh, solidify their spot because if they fell to eight and six, now all of a sudden you're tied in a three-way tie with the Colts and the Bengals with the Bills still breathing down your neck. Now it looks like, me personally, I don't think the Colts are going to make it. I think the Bills are just going to leapfrog them, and that's going to be the end of it. And it's going to end up being the Colts, the Bengals, and the Browns making the um, making the playoffs as the wildcard teams. That's my prediction. Uh, Chiefs, Patriots, the Chiefs win 27 to 17. This was a part of a parlay that I did. I did uh Chiefs minus eight and a half, and they covered 27 to 17. Not the prettiest of games for the Chiefs, obviously, only winning by 10 against the Patriots. Like you'd like to be a little bit more confident than that in them winning, especially after you're losing back-to-back -back games against elite teams. I thought they were gonna blow them out 
um, but they didn't. Regardless, uh, the Patriots, after there was now there's rumors, quote unquote confirmed reports that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are going to part ways, and it happened sometime after the London game, the loss against the Colts, that they were going to part ways. I don't know if that's true. Now it's like kind of muddied water. Um, but regardless, they are, oh, they're three and 11. I forgot they beat the Steelers. So never mind because I thought they still, I thought they were two and 12 after this, but I, for, I did forget they, they beat the Steelers for their third win. So they are still in the second spot, um, for the draft, for the NFL draft. The Panthers still have the worst record in the leagues, which means that the Bears still own the number one pick. Uh, but the Chiefs are nine and five. Obviously, they needed this win, something fierce. Uh, another game, though, where Patrick Mahomes is turning the ball over two interceptions in two interceptions in this game. Uh, he he has been he's been a little loosey goosey throwing the football, you know. And I think for a large portion of his career, he made a lot of he he would make some dangerous throws every once in a while and he would always complete them and it would be like this insane play like how does he do it blah 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 now it's almost like some of these riskier throws that he's taking are just becoming turnovers like they normally would for probably every other quarterback in the nfl so uh he is turning the ball over a bit while taking these risks and and granted they are probably they're calculated risks you know they're not the same as like zach wilson interceptions or, or, you know, just bad quarterback play. It, it, they're calculated risks for the most part. And if they come up to be interceptions, then they come up to be interceptions. But you can live with that because you know he's capable of generating such a high-powered offense that if he takes, takes a risk every once in a while and doesn't work out, it's not going to completely torpedo you. And he's not, again, he's not taking those risks in huge situations either, you know? They're usually at like, points in the game where it's like the the Chiefs can go up by two scores or something like that. Um but for the most part Mahomes great game, 27 to 37, 305 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh Rashi Rice has arrived. He is legit. Uh nine catches, 91 yards and a touchdowns for him. He has very much become Patrick Mahomes' number one uh receiver option. Obviously Travis Kelsey's still their their man there, but but, I mean, even so, not a good game from Travis Kelsey. Five catches, 28 yards, didn't do much of anything. And he's been he's been pretty quiet. Um, he has three games to get over 1,000 yards here, which I think he will, obviously. But he has 924 yards here, 85 catches, only five touchdowns on the year, which is very much not Travis Kelsey-like. Uh, so he is definitely having a down year by all metrics, but still, obviously, a huge threat. and. The best, I'd still, in my opinion, the best tight end in football. Uh, for the Chiefs, you have some big games coming up. You play on Christmas, Monday uh, afternoon on Christmas. Raiders, Chiefs, Monday at 1 p.m., Christmas Day. That's crazy. Uh, I didn't actually think there was football on Christmas Day because usually, you know, that's reserved for the uh, the NBA. How many games are on Christmas Day? There's three games on Christmas Day, a 1 o'clock, a 4.30, and an 8.15. Wow. Chiefs, Raiders, Giants, Eagles at 4.30, and then the Ravens and 49ers at 8.15. Oh, boy. Uh, mix that in with some basketball. You're looking at a pretty, pretty 
jam-packed day. Um, anyway, 49ers, Cardinals. 49ers win 45-29. to 29. McCaffrey scores three touchdowns. When are we going to be able to say that he's in the MVP? Like, seriously, fully in the MVP conversation. I'm so sick of this being like a quarterback-driven award. It's, to me, there are no quarterbacks this year that deserve the MVP. Not one. Not Jalen Hurts. Not Dak Prescott. Not Patrick Mahomes. Not Brock Purdy. None of these dudes deserve to be the MVP. None of them. They've all had multiple games where they've played incredibly poorly, which is not really something that when a, a quarterback wins MVP, it's usually like their lights out all season and they are just flat out. None of them are like they've all had ab every single one of those quarterbacks have had at least one or two absolute duds this year where they've just played poorly. So for me, it's like, why is why is Christian McCaffrey not considered an MVP candidate? And why is Tyreek Hill not considered an MVP candidate? If Tyreek Hill breaks 2,000 yards, he should probably be the MVP. But at the same time, Christian McCaffrey is just doing everything for the 49ers. He catches the ball. He runs for touchdowns. He, he's an absolute freak. Like, he led the, the, the Niners in receiving and rushing this game. 18 carries, 115 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And then five catches for 72 yards and two touchdowns in the air. Why is Christian McCaffrey not in the MVP conversation? To me, he should be the front runner. He should be the front runner. And like saying a running back should be MVP is not like a completely far-fetched idea. We've seen running backs win MVPs before. It's been, what, 10 years now, 11 years since the last running back won an MVP with Adrian Peterson. Christian McCaffrey is the best player on that offense. Easily the best player on that offense. The Niners are the best team in the league. Why is Christian McCaffrey not the MVP? Like, if they fuck around and give Brock Purdy the MVP, no disrespect to Brock Purdy, but if they give him the MVP over someone like Christian McCaffrey, we have a serious issue. Why should the MVP be even taken seriously? Why it, You should rename it, because it's not the MVP award. It's just the best quarterback award. That's what it's it. That's what it is, which for, in most years, I would say, yeah. That makes the most sense. But in this year, particularly, where there's been a ton of injuries to starting quarterbacks throughout the league, starters, even backups on some teams, a ton, a ton, a ton of quarterback injuries this year. And then to stack it up with what Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have been talking about with like just some poor QB play, there is no one that stands out. Dak Prescott gained some traction for a couple weeks there, but then they just got absolutely slammed by the Bills. So that, all that momentum's kind of gone. You can't really talk about talking with the Bills. Josh Allen, you can't because they're just they're struggling to make the playoffs right now. Um, Tua Tagovailoa, we've seen him have some pretty bad games where he's just looked overwhelmed, and at the same time, that's another thing with him and Tua and Brock Purdy. It's like, yeah. They've played, they've had great games. They play really well and they're good quarterbacks, but they are heavily reliant on one guy where, I mean, the Niners offense without Christian McCaffrey is still good. The Dolphins offense without Tyreek Hill is still good, but those are the guys that make the offense go like Christian McCaffrey is an absolute freak. And so is Tyreek Hill. Like these are the guys that are the focal points 
for the most part, of those offenses. You can't give the quarterback an MVP when those guys are like the stars. They're the stars of the offense. They're the main course, dude. <laughs> like it really, it really is. Sometimes it's just that simple. I don't know why we're like making it, why the media makes this into like strictly a quarterback award. Now, wide receiver, obviously getting MVP is something that's never been done before. So I kind of understand why it's like, well, you know, whatever Tyreek Hill. I do think if he breaks 2000 yards, that kind of immediately raises a green flag for everybody. But Christian McCaffrey, like there's no reason why he shouldn't be in the MVP conversation because he's just, he's doing things this year that are um, absolutely crazy. He's going to rush for 1500 yards. He's going to have well over 2000 yards from scrimmage. So I just, I don't, I don't understand why this isn't being like something that's being taken more seriously uh, in terms of McCaffrey and like what he, the, the recognition that he deserves. I just, I don't really, I don't really understand it. Uh, Rams commanders, kind of a gross matchup here as well. 28 to 20, the Rams win. They are now seven, seven Washington falls to four and 10. Uh, they are obviously horrible, but Matt Stafford keeps the Rams playoff hopes alive and they are a a frisky team. Like I'm not sure anyone would really want be comfortable playing the Rams in a first round matchup in the playoffs. It is, they, they could give you a run for your money. They can, hell, they could even mess around and win the game. You know, they're just that kind of team. And Matt, Matt Stafford's got that talent. And, uh, you know, they're still a capable offense. Kyron Williams has been like a revelation for them at running back. They still have Cooper Cup, uh, who had a 62-yard touchdown pass from Matt Stafford in this game. Matthew Stafford in this game. But Kyron Williams, 152 yards on 27 carries. Like, he's been a beast. Uh, Cooper Cup had over 100 yards. Stafford looked good, like I said. Sam Howell is, uh, I guess, I don't was he benched in this game? I guess he was. I would imagine he was. 11 to 26, 102 yards, one and one for Sam Howell. Jacoby Brissett ended up stepping in. It's a nightmare over there in Washington. I don't really know what their direction is, but it's a nightmare. Last two games of Sunday, Cowboys, Bills. The Bills slammed the Cowboys 31 to 10. They just ran it down their throats the entire game. James Cook, a career day for James Cook. 179 yards on the ground with a rushing touchdown. And he also had two catches for 42 yards and another touchdown. So a career day for James Cook. Absolute beast. Over 200 yards from scrimmage for him. He was electric. Josh Allen really didn't ask, get asked to do much against this, this Dallas team. He let his running backs do the talking. Because if you looked at this at this box score and you're like, oh, Bills win 31 to 10. Wow. Josh Allen must have had a really good game. Josh Allen was 7 of 15, 94 yards, and one touchdown. That's throwing the ball. He he. QB sneaked one from the one yard line to rush in for a touchdown. And then his one passing touchdown was to James Cook. So he didn't really do much of anything. Like he, he really just, it's not that it was like, he didn't do much because like he wasn't effective. You didn't have to do anything. Like the bills were playing at such a high level against and bills. Money line was part of my parlay with the chiefs covering eight and a half. And that hit. So that was nice. But the bills in Buffalo, like the Cowboys, I think if this game proved anything to me, it's that the Cowboys need home field advantage. If they are not playing in Dallas, they are at a significant disadvantage. 
And I really do mean significant because they played good teams all away and they've gotten blown out. They, uh, they have not looked good on the road. And when you look at their wins compared to their losses, it's another case outside of the win last week against the Eagles. Again, that's a home game. But the Cowboys, not a great strength of schedule to like favor them in an argument because I mean, you your first five, four weeks of the season, you played the Giants, the Jets, the Cardinals, and the Patriots. You win all of them except inexplicably losing to the Cardinals away, mind you. So not not at home, right? Like that's that's part of the thing, the agenda too. You go to San Francisco, get the doors blown off of you, um, or get the the brakes beaten off of you, whatever expression you want to use. Then you're in. LA, you beat the Chargers 20 to 17, which doesn't really look that good because the Chargers have had a horrible season basically since then. Um, then you're home against the Rams, you beat them. The Rams were not good at that time. Stafford, I think, was injured. He left the game. You go to Philly, you lose to the Eagles in a tight one. Giants again, blow them out. Panthers, blow out. Commanders, blow out. Seahawks, you win in a shootout at home. Then you beat up on the Eagles at home. And then you go to Buffalo and you and you get the brakes being off of you there. So it's a it's a tough like litmus litmus test here for the for the Cowboys because they haven't really played that many good opponents. And they blow out every it almost feels like they blow out everyone at home. But and now when they're on the road, you're really your two big sample sizes here are. You lost a tight one against the Eagles on the road, and you got blown out by the Bills and 49ers on the road. So what is, and then obviously you lost to the Cardinals on the road, but I'm not even going to count that right now. So what, what is the Cowboy, what are the Cowboys looking like? How is it, how are they going to proceed? For me, I think it's like almost imperative that they get home field advantage. If they do not, I would expect a, when the first game that they play on the road, I would expect them to lose. If it's against anyone that's like of high caliber, like if it's against the Lions, for whatever instance, they have to go to Detroit. Like I'm gonna, I would pick the Lions, um, something like that to that extent. And then if if they get a home one home playoff game and then have to go on the road, then you're looking at a classic second round of the playoff exit for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but for the Bills, they are on fire. They are playing tremendous football. They're eight and six. They are actually still on the outside looking in, unfortunately, because of the slow start that they had and the fact that you have a lot of these guys that are, or a lot of these teams that are still um, fighting or jostling for these this, these playoff spots. So you had the Texans win, which like the Bills really needed the Texans to lose just to leapfrog them so they don't have to worry about them. But you have... The Bengals in front of you at nine and five, or the the Browns in front of you at nine and five. The Bengals, the Colts, and the Texans ahead of you at eight and six. The Bills are also at eight and six. They just don't have the tiebreaker between those teams, so they need a win desperately. Now they are two games behind the Dolphins. Still, the Dolphins could very easily completely ruin this for themselves. Um, if they if the Dolphins lose to the Cowboys and the Dolphins lose to the Ravens. Now, suddenly, you're playing for the division. Assuming the Bills win their next two games, now you're playing for the division. 
You're playing for the division the final week of the regular season against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, it is... I, I mean, I'd be nervous if I was a Dolphins fan. I'd be nervous. Right now, the only team that has clinched a playoff spot is the Baltimore Ravens at 11-3. and three. So uh, 11 seems to be the ne- the magic number here. If the Dolphins win one of these next three games, they'll be in control. But like these are tough. These are probably the toughest three remaining games left for a like playoff team that's like trying to secure the division. It's like the toughest three games you can ask for is against the Cowboys. And that's and that's the only thing that like they really have going with them is that that Cowboys game at least is in Miami. So you at least have that. But then you got to go to Baltimore and then you're back home for the final game of the regular season against the Bills. But I mean, the Bills kind of own the Dolphins. That's just the way, even though the Dolphins have been really good and, you know, they're they're a great team. Josh Allen kind of still owns them. So they got to. It's going to be a tough one down the stretch. If you're a Dolphins fan, you're definitely going to have to sweat out this uh, this next three weeks. Your, your best bet to me is if they lose to the Cowboys, I think it's over for them. That's how I'm feeling because I don't think they're going to march into Baltimore in the middle of December and beat the Ravens. I just don't think that's something that they're capable of right now. Uh, and so if if you if you don't win against the Cowboys, you're you might lose the division. That's that's how it feels like it's shaping up. So this this game, this home field game here against the Cowboys is so pivotal to them. They need to win. It's an absolute must win for them. And it's crazy because it's probably a must win for the Cowboys too. Uh, the Sunday night game, Ravens, Jaguars. My Jaguars take ages like fine wine every day. They are overrated. Trevor Lawrence is overrated. There are, I mean, I don't even know if he's a top 10 quarterback at this point. He's playing poorly. It just, I mean, there's nothing about this Jaguars team that makes me really think they're a Super Bowl caliber team. Like there are people that are saying the Jaguars are legit. You know, I did, I was prima, I I was on the wagon early on being like, they're really not good, period. But they are a good team. They're just not a Super Bowl caliber team. They're not. And Trevor Lawrence doesn't play at that level either. And to be honest, he's kind of never played at that level. Uh, and he, he's, people were really quick to crown him one of like the five best quarterbacks in the league. You know, he, they were getting, he was getting put in conversations with Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, like these guys who put up like really elite numbers. But right now, Trevor Lawrence has thrown for 3,500 yards, which is ninth best in the NFL. And he has 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. He, and if you're going by QBR, he's barely a top 10 quarterback. He's ninth. At, with a 60.1 QBR. So like to me he's he leaves a lot to be desired. He is banged up right now. I I his ankle is not right. So I'm willing to give him some some slack here and and not completely crucify him and be like he's horrible blah blah blah. I'm not a monster, you know. But he he does leave even when fully healthy. He to when I watch him play, he leaves something there that's like there should be more, but there hasn't been. And it's not just this year. Like, obviously, you can blame Urban Meyer all you want for, like, maybe stunting his progress or whatever. But people really expected big things from the Jags this year. And here they are fighting for the AFC South, where they're now tied with the Texans and the Colts for the AFC South. Like, there is no guarantee that the Jaguars make the playoffs right now. None. So it is 
it has been a really, really hectic season. Again, for the Jags, I'm willing to give Trevor Lawrence some leeway because of his ankle and he's banged up. But like he has, when when they have gone against elite caliber teams, they get embarrassed. Like they just look completely lost. And on top of that, it's just, it feels like Trevor Lawrence fumbles the ball a lot. That's something I've been noticing the past few weeks when I'm watching these Jaguars games um, is that Trevor Lawrence fumbles the ball a ton. He lost two fumbles against the Ravens uh, on Sunday night. He just looked really bad. Uh, one of them, just the ball just fell out, flat out fell out of his hands. It's, it's like every time he gets sacked, the ball's on the ground, it feels like. He has been... Um, he has been, and he only got sacked one time here in this game against the Ravens, but he, he has been not great again. The ankle's not right. Sure. But even before that, he, he leaves things to be desired. Like in my opinion, he, he's like almost on the same level as Brock Purdy right now, where his offense is so talented. They really cover up a lot of things that are wrong with him like that. Brock Purdy and Trevor Lawrence are closer in caliber right now than Trevor Lawrence is as to Patrick Mahomes, which the mainstream media, they, they eat up Trevor Lawrence and they, they love him. They, they, it's propaganda, the, him and Justin Herbert, no matter how poorly they play, it's like, oh, it, surely it's everyone else with Justin Herbert. I actually kind of came around on it where it, it might actually be everyone else. Um, but with Trevor Lawrence, he, he's, you know, was this highly talented prospect consensus number one overall pick from the time he stepped foot on Clemson's campus and just is not playing to that. And, and don't get me wrong, super high expectations, maybe not necessarily fair to bestow upon someone like that, even though he did excel in college, but it's almost like he tries to play the same way he played in college and he hasn't adapted to the speed of the NFL. That's what it feels like sometimes. Um, when, when you see these, uh, these defense, these, uh, defensive linemen and stuff, they swarm him and they tackle him. It just, it looks like he is not up to speed on the NFL game. Like it, it's like, he's still trying to play in college. He still thinks he could just make things happen because he's Trevor Lawrence and he's just better than everyone else. And that's simply not the case in the NFL. So I don't know what really needs to change, but he is not playing particularly well and i would barely put him i don't even know if i I put him closer to 15 probably than 10 in, in the in the tier of quarterbacks like he's definitely i like is kirk cousins is he better than kirk cousins i don't really know if he is to be honest so trevor lawrence i the jags i mean if the jags miss the playoffs mm, you'll know a trevor lawrence apologist when you see it because they'll just blame his ankle being injured Instead of, you know, the fact that they might just not be that good. Uh, the night game, Seahawks, Eagles, what an unbelievable win for the Seattle Seahawks. An absolute gauntlet of a schedule that they're going through. Um, I thought they were, I mean, they somehow keep their playoff hopes alive. They get out of this stretch with a win. They lose to the Rams, 
lose to the 49ers, lose to the Cowboys, lose to the 49ers again. They are absolutely sliding. They need a win at home, and they beat the Eagles on a last-second touchdown throw from Drew Locke to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Just a sensational throw and a sensational catch by uh, Smith and Jigba in the corner of the end zone. Just awesome, awesome drive. 92-yard drive to end the game for Drew Locke and the Seattle Seahawks. 10 plays, 92 yards. Uh, What a drive. And then uh, the Eagles got the ball back with like 20-something seconds left and a couple timeouts. Jalen Hurts after uh, like two or three, I think it was three plays. Um, Jalen Hurts ended up throwing an interception from, uh, to Julian Love, and that sealed the game. Uh, but what a win. I live line with about 10 minutes ago. I live lined the Seattle Seahawks to win at like plus 250 straight up money line. Um, and that cash, that was nice. Also, like I said, I had a good, I also bet Ravens minus four. So I, I had a, I had a good, I had a good weekend. Um, follow my picks on my Instagram at, from my point of view pod, but like this, this saved Seattle season. This is a win that saved their season. Cause now they're seven and seven and still clawing there. At the back end of the wild card for the NFC, they are still alive. They have a pulse. And the best thing is now you have three very, very winnable games against the Titans, against the Steelers, and at the last game of the season against the Cardinals. Very, very winnable schedule here after you just got out of this hellscape. Um, you were able to get at least one win. And honestly, that's all you really needed. Now you're seven and seven. You win these last three games, you're 10 and seven, and on it, that probably gets you a playoff spot. So uh, I'm pulling for the Seahawks. Geno Smith, this was a game time decision about who was going to start. Geno was banged up. They, wasn't, they weren't sure if he was going to go, and they made the last second decision like, all right, Drew Locke's starting, and Drew Locke balled out. And he saw after he scored that touchdown, he's like, I put that shit on me. Like he was hyped. He gave a great post-game interview. It was kind of hard. You know, it's hard not to like Drew Locke after everything that he said and how he played and just like how emotional he got. But he was 22 or 33, 208 yards and a touchdown. DK Metcalf had a couple of huge catches down the stretch. Kenneth Walker absolutely balled out in the second half as well. Um, And then with the Eagles, they just, the Eagles look all out of sorts. Uh, The Eagles look all out of sorts. This is three straight losses for them Mm -hmm. in a row. Uh, they lost to the Niners, the Cowboys, and now the Seahawks. And luckily for the Eagles, they get the Giants twice in the last three weeks. And then the other the other uh, game, the third game, is the Cardinals. So they're looking at uh, definitely a get-right game here these last three weeks to get to end the season at 13-4. and four. But if you're the Eagles beating up on these teams, the last, beating up on the Giants twice and the Cardinals, even if you do that successfully and end the season 13-4, and four, you have to be concerned because you just played three tough games in a row you lost all of them and two of them you got blown out back-to-back games against nfc opponents that you're most likely gonna have to play at least one of them in the playoffs with the niners and the cowboys you got blown out by the niners and you got blown out by the cowboys in dallas then you go to seattle and you lose that close one like things just don't seem right uh the the eagles defense is is bad. I think like the secondary is bad. They get carved up by a lot of teams. Um, they are not running the ball as effectively as they are. Jalen hurts has not been, he's been pretty careless with the ball. He has over, he has 10 interceptions this year. He actually has 12 interceptions this year has 19 touchdowns, 
12 interceptions, they're a little over 3,300 yards. So he is uh, actually he's 10th in QBR this year at 59.9, just behind Trevor Lawrence that I just talked about. So Hurts, definitely a down year for him and how he's and especially with how he had been playing last year and how he always takes care of the football. Now he's turning it over a lot. Um, and the Eagles, like their their offense just doesn't look like it's clicking. The, the secondary is being torn up defensively they have a lot of problems that they just kind of they got to fix and one thing i'd like to mention here is that shane steichen the former oc of the eagles and now the current head coach of the colts what he did against the steelers in the second half of saturday's game he ran the ball all over them zach moss trey sermon he had like a three-headed monster there uh with no jonathan taylor mind you uh, he had Zach Moss, and then I think Moss got injured, maybe, because he only ended with, like, seven touches. But Trey Sermon, 88 yards. Tyler Goodson, 11 carries, 69 yards. Like, they ran the ball down the Steelers' throat. And when they run, when you if you watch the Colts and how they ran the ball, they looked like the Eagles. Like, the way their formations, how the offensive line moved, and the blocking schemes and all that kind of stuff how they drew it up. It looked like the Eagles of last year, which is not a, con- a coincidence that Shane Steichen is the is the head coach of the Colts now and they're running the ball like the Eagles were last year. You know what I'm saying? Like common denominator is Shane Steichen, who is probably going to end up being coach of the year uh, over D'Amico Ryans. I think just because D'Amico Ryans, great head coach. I, I just think Shane Steichen to be able to do what he's done with essentially less because you, ha- you didn't have Jonathan Taylor for four games, and now also he's injured now. So, like, you really haven't had Jonathan Taylor for a significant portion of the year. Anthony Richardson gets injured, and you have to pivot to Gardner Minshew, who you've been trying to utilize his abilities as best as possible. Uh, the defense is playing great. Like, the, the Colts are playing, I feel like, more above their expectations even so more so than the Texans were because at least with the Texans, it's like you have the number two overall pick and now CJ Stroud was concussed. Hopefully he's back this week, but uh, it's just, I think Shane Steichen is going to get the edge for coach of the year over D'Amico Ryans, but it depends like right now, them, the Colts, the Texans and the Jags are all eight and six. They're all tied for the division lead. It'll, it'll shake up. Like if the Texans somehow, if the Texans get CJ Stroud back this year, I mean, this week they went out, and let's just say they win the division, D'Amico Ryans is going to get coach of the year. Um, but I think if like the Texans are both wildcard team, the Texans and Colts are both wildcard teams, I think Steichen probably beats them out for that. Um, any, basically, I think any scenario other than the Texans winning the division gives Steichen the edge for coach of the year. But I digress. The Eagles offense, Sirianni's got a lot of problems and I don't know if he really knows how to fix them, to be honest with you. That's like the vibe I'm getting is it's just kind of like, let's just keep doing the same things we were, we've been doing because they worked last year. And now everything outside of the tush push has not really been looking very good. So they gotta, they gotta figure it out and they gotta figure it out fast because they are, uh, they are in trouble and not in trouble in terms of like missing the playoffs or they might lose the division that uh, actually probably not even um i think they probably just they went out the last three weeks they lock up the division 
But again, you're playing the Giants twice and the Cardinals the last three weeks. So even if you win those three games, you end 13 and four. As an Eagles fan, you're probably not feeling great because things just have not gone the way you'd want them to, having played these big time NFC teams over the last several weeks and and not winning. Um is is definitely cause for concern. The defense, the secondaries in shambles, and the run game is just not what it was. The offense in general is just not what it was. I, I think there has to be cause from uh, cause for concern on both sides of the ball for sure. So before we wrap up the podcast, we'll go right now. The tankathon uh, for the draft, the draft picks right now. It is still Carolina at one. That pick belongs to the Bears. They are two and twelve. Then you have New England at two and Arizona at three. They're both at three and 11. Washington has climbed all the way up to the fourth overall pick. They are four and 10. Chicago stays at five at five and nine. The Giants are sixth at five and nine. The Jets are seventh at five and nine. (laughs) The Chargers are eighth and the Titans are ninth. All those teams from five to nine, ironically enough. From the fifth pick to the ninth pick, all those teams are five and nine. And I guess, you know, these last three weeks of the season, those can all flip-flop in maneuverability for uh, basically everyone there, depending on how the rest of the season goes, obviously. But to me, it feels like at, at least the top two are are locked in. Um, Washington, I think, might, if they stink enough, they could potentially leapfrog Arizona. Uh, but right now, it feels like the top two picks are definitely locked in as uh, as the Chicago Bears, number one overall pick with Carolina's owning Carolina's pick and the Patriots at two. Uh, and then as for the playoffs in the AFC, you got the Ravens at 11 and three. They've clinched a playoff spot and currently hold the number one overall seed and the bye. You have the second seed Dolphins at 10 and four, who are the AFC East leaders. Kansas City is the AFC West. At nine and five, Jacksonville in the AFC South at eight and six. And then the three wildcard spots right now are the Browns at nine and five, the Bengals at eight and six, and the Colts at eight and six. However, you also have the Texans at eight and six and the Bills at eight and six, who are on the outs, just on the outside looking in. Now, again, the Jaguars, the Colts, and the Texans in the AFC South are all eight and six. So these last three weeks are very important. Like the Jags are trying not to choke away this divisional lead and the Colts and Texans are trying to make these miraculous playoff berths happen. Uh, The Bills, they need the Dolphins to lose against the Cowboys in order to have a shot at the crown the last week of the season. If If the Bills win the next two games and the Dolphins lose, one of the next two. Let's just say the Dolphins beat the Ravens and both teams are 11 and four. But uh, let's just say the Dolphins beat the Cowboys and they're 11 and four and then lose to the Ravens. And now they're 11 and five. And the Bills win the next two weeks to get to 10 and six. Now you're playing the last week of the season at home in Miami against the Bills. If the Bills beat you and you both end 11 and five, the Bills get the tiebreaker because they have they will have swept you in the seasonal series. And the Bills will win the AFC East and the Dolphins will be relegated to a wild card spot. That is a nightmare scenario for the Dolphins and Dolphins fans, obviously. Uh, as for the Bills, 
I think there's a pretty high probability that they make the playoffs, but low key, you're you're if you're trying to make the wild card spot, you're you're preying on a lot of other teams to lose. Whereas if you just win out the year, there's a good chance that you could still win the division. So it's going to be tough there. Um, the AFC East still, I mean, depending obviously what the what the Dolphins do, the AFC East still very much up for grabs. The AFC South is in a three-way tie right now. Um, and then you have the Browns there just kind of like hanging on for dear life at nine and five, trying to win a game whenever they can. And then in the NFC, it's to- very top-heavy, obviously. Uh, you have the Niners at 11 and three. They've clinched their division and a playoff berth. They are most likely going to end up claiming that number one overall seed. You have Dallas, who's claimed a playoff berth, and the Eagles, who have also claimed a playoff berth. They are both 10 and four. Dallas actually holds the tiebreaker over the Eagles right now. So Dallas is the number two seed. The Eagles are the first wild card seed. They are now the fifth seed at 10 and four. Detroit is 10 and 4. They are the third seed. Tampa Bay is tied with the Saints at 7 and 7. Um but own the tiebreakers. So Tampa Bay is your current NFC South divisional leader and they are the fourth seed. I mentioned the Eagles at 10 and 4. They have they lose that tiebreaker to the Cowboys. So they're the fifth seed. The Vikings are 7 and 7 at the sixth seed and the LA Rams are 7 and 7 at the seventh seed and right behind them you have uh, the Falcons at six and eight, or you have, excuse me, you have the Seahawks at seven and seven right behind them. And then the Saints at seven and seven. Uh, and then you have Atlanta and Green Bay, both at six and eight. Atlanta, I think is dead. Green Bay, I think is dead. Seattle has a chance to sneak into the playoffs. I personally think New Orleans is dead as well. I don't think they make a playoff spot as a wild card. I think that's either they take the division or they miss the playoffs entirely. Um, Seattle, I, I, I would bet Seattle and the Rams making the wild card. I'm going to say Minnesota would be the one to drop back just because their QB situation is a lot worse than what Seattle and LA have going on. So that's the playoff picture for both conferences. Uh, like I said, very top heavy in the NFC, and then it really gets down into like 500 teams, whereas. Uh, in the AFC, you have a lot more teams that are hovering above 500 at eight and six, you know, nine and five, and they're they're still fighting for those playoff spots. So home stretch here, um, and we're gonna wrap it up for this episode. We're on the home stretch. We're going to have our playoffs set by the time I record next. The next time I am recording. It's not going to be, obviously, New Year's Day is a Monday, so I'm not going to record that. I'll be recording January 8th. I plan on recording. Uh, maybe January 9th is that Tuesday. One of those days, I will be recording my the next episode, um, and we'll have our playoff bracket completely set in stone by then, because that is the last week of the regular season. So uh, that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Be safe. Have fun. And I'll talk to you all in 2024.